My goal with this message this morning is to get you to sign up to pray um, 168 in this next week. You can go to the Sunday Hub. If you go to the Sunday Hub during the message and it looks to me like you're distracted because you're signing up, that's okay. (laughs) Because my goal is to encourage you to pray. And not only that, I want to encourage you to pray for the right reasons. And so um, today, New Year's Day, is the day that we think about uh, starting over, the day that we make resolutions, that we decide to make changes that we think we should have made for a while. To do that, what we generally do is to screw up our willpower, knowing that it has let us down time and again, and resolve to make this year different somehow. In other words, we use the only tool we know. The only tool we know is certain to fail, and we leverage that against our unwilling self. Happy New Year. The reality is the best that we can do is the best that we can do. And so we hope then that when it comes to prayer, that God will hear us because we try a little harder. We hope that when it comes to dieting, the Lord will help us or he'll help us go to the gym or help us get out of debt or any of those other New Year's resolutions that we would normally make. But this is not how it works to be a Christian. That's the best you can do in a non-Christian fashion. But in order to look at what it means to change, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans. And it'll be helpful this morning if you have your Bibles open. We're going to look at chapter 8 mostly, but um, I want to survey a few other uh, verses before that. Because we're going to talk about what it means to have a resolution, you might say, that is Christian or a change in my life that's Christian, we have to start with what it means to be a Christian. In Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25, it sort of spells out the problem and the solution. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the former sins. So what this means is, first of all, it's received by faith. You become a Christian by faith. What do you you receive by faith? You receive Christ. You receive what Jesus has done by dying in your place and rising again so that God's wrath against sin is, in the words here, verse 25, propitiated, or it is satisfied. There is nothing that you can do 
to satisfy God's wrath or to appease him or to make him happier with you. That's important because that's sort of a baseline from which you need not make a New Year's resolution. Do you understand? Because most of us somehow want God to be happier with us, so we want to pray more, so we want to do better. This tells us God is happy with us because of Jesus. And you receive Jesus by faith. Romans chapter 6 then, verse 3, reminds us that we have been united with Jesus. So not only are you saved by Jesus, you're united with Jesus if you receive him by faith. Romans 6, verse 3. Do you not know that all of you who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so there is here for someone who has trusted in Jesus, someone who has become a Christian, there is a new life available that is a life united with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection power so that the life that you now live is a new kind of life. Not because you resolve to do better, but because of what Jesus has done for you. Then if you move through the book of Romans, chapter 7 is the one that we probably identify with as much as any, isn't it? For the things that I want to do, I can't do. The things I don't want to do, I still find myself doing. And I can't seem to get myself under control. If ever there was a New Year's resolution passage, it's that one. Then that brings us to Romans chapter 8, which starts out, of course, in verse 1, which says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What it means to be a believer in Jesus is that there is no condemnation for you before God. That no matter what you did in 2022, no matter what you did yesterday or 10 years ago, Jesus has taken your condemnation. Now, this is why we talk about faith, right? Because that's pretty hard to believe. There's nothing else in your life that works that way. But there's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And then, as if that's not enough, Romans chapter 8, verse 16, tells us that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Christmas, we looked at John chapter 1 where it said, to those who believed, to those, those who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And if that's not hard enough to believe, 
God tells us now that he gives us his spirit to remind us over and over and over, you are a child of God. Whether you keep your resolution or not, whether you're successful or whether you're a failure. In some regard, that's why Christianity is a life of faith. Because I don't always feel that way. But God tells me that's true. And he gives me his Holy Spirit to remind me over and over and over that it's true. And so all of that really is just by way of introduction to get you to the text I really want to talk about this morning, which is in... um, Verse 26 of chapter 8 here. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Now, I know that was a lot to read, but I'm just going to tell you that I like to read that. Because it tells me that the help of the Holy Spirit and the purpose of the Father and the work of the Son provide absolute confidence that God will hear your prayers. The help of the Spirit and the purpose of the Father and the work of Jesus provide us absolute confidence that God will hear your prayers. God is so committed to you that in his triune fullness, he helps you, he works in and around you, and he guarantees your success in prayer. Or if I was to make this less individualistic, which would probably be appropriate, I would say God's plan for the world is his church's success in prayer and its conformity to Jesus. So let's look first at what the Spirit does for you. The Holy Spirit helps you in your prayers. It's just as simple as it can be, isn't it? 
It starts off where prayer must start off, with our weakness. See, I think this is why people don't pray. We don't really believe that that's where we start. Because we think we can, this year, maybe do a little better with our resolution. We can make the change we want to make. But really, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And if you were to look at this text, there's all kinds of weakness really everywhere, isn't there? The weakness is not only my personal disappointment in my own self from chapter 7 that I can't stop doing the things I don't want to do and I can't do the things I know I should do. It's not just that. It's the fact that I experience the brokenness that sin brings not only in my own self and in my own relationships and in my own life, but in all of creation. The ice storms, the fires, the pandemics, they all groan the same way. That this weakness is not just ours, it belongs to all of creation. So our weakness is not only that we must admit we can't conquer ourselves by sheer force of will, but we have to recognize how hard it is to believe these magnificent promises of God in Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation. Can you really believe that? That the Spirit bears witness with your spirit. You're a child of God. That's too good to be true. Might be that you've experienced the groaning of this broken world because you've been sick. Because you've lost loved ones. Or any number of things accumulate to cause you to throw up your hands in helplessness. Then, if that's the case, hooray! Because God has your attention and he has you ready to pray because you're weak. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. If you're weak, you qualify for his help. If you are strong, you do not. What kind of help does he give us? tells us that he intercedes for the saints with groanings too deep for words. When we don't know how to pray like we should, the Holy Spirit comes along and he intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. Beauty of this is that the Holy Spirit picks up the chorus of the broken saints. Because it tells us earlier that the, in verse 23, that we ourselves groan inwardly. And it tells us in verse 22 that the whole creation 
has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And so what the Holy Spirit does is he picks up the pain of creation, and he picks up the pain of the saints, and he brings it before the Father. And he tells us to eagerly await our adoption. He tells us that the day is coming when the pain will be over, when, as the song we just sang uh, said, we will be free from sinning. Since we're talking about prayer, it's probably worth saying that I don't think that this groaning that is unutterable or without words is some sort of secret prayer language that the Holy Spirit uh, somehow makes happen because it is a intercession without words. It's, you might say, a groaning that is silent. And so the Holy Spirit picks up the pain and brings it to the Father. And the one who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. In other words, there is this communion between God the Father and God the Spirit that somehow um, brings us into his presence. And the intercession that happens is according to God, literally, or in your translation, according to God's will. Because what does it mean to, be, to intercede according to God? It just means that you're going to, the Holy Spirit's going to bring your request in a way that God understands. He's going to bring your needs in a way that pleases God. The Holy Spirit is able to translate your inability, your inarticulateness into something that God will most certainly hear. And so you can pray with absolute confidence that the Father will hear you because the Spirit helps you. And really, we're just getting started. Because verse 28 if you've been around very long, hopefully you, you know verse 28. And we know that for those that love God, all things work together for good for those that are called according to his purpose. God the Father will accomplish his purpose in you most certainly. In spite of and because of those difficult things that come your way. His purpose, he articulates really in two different ways here. I want to make sure you see both of them. That all things work together for good. That God's interest is to do you good even through bad things. God's interest is to do good for you as you walk through this broken world groaning as creation itself groans. As you fight sin and sometimes you fail and sometimes you succeed, God is working in you with your circumstances all throughout 
to do you good. The, the Greek word there is the word that we get the English word synergize from, which it just means that all those things conspire to do good. That God causes the good things and the bad things, the happy things and the sad things, the easy things and the hard things to sync up for your good. And then he explains to us what that good is. The good that God is working toward is your conformity to the image of His Son. God is working to make you like Jesus. He's working to make each individual Christian look a little more like Jesus. So that the inclination of your heart, the attitude, the actions, the things that you do, they are more like Jesus than they were last year. And that is the purpose of God in the circumstances that come your way. That is not the result of your resolution to do better this next year. That is the purpose of God in your life. The purpose of God for the world is a church that looks like Jesus. What does God want for the world? He wants a church that matches his son so that everyone gets the idea of what the kingdom of heaven is like because they see the preview in the church. Now, I think it's very interesting that in the middle of this conversation about prayer and the Holy Spirit interceding for us and God the Son interceding for us, that we have the purpose of God. Because that's one of, that's one of the things we struggle with when it comes time to pray, isn't it? That how can the purpose of God change when I pray? If God's going to do something, isn't he going to do it whether I pray or not? The reality is that God is doing this work and you can ignore him, you can work against him, or you can pray along with him. Because prayer is one of the means that God uses toward the end of working his sure and steady purpose in your life. If God is going to do you good and he's going to make you like Jesus and he's going to certainly do that, of course he's going to invite you into a conversation about that in prayer. So prayer is part of the means that God uses to accomplish that purpose in your life. And just in case you are unclear about God's intent. He, he couldn't be um, more clear. It says God's purpose is so certain that whom he did uh, predestine, he also called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he also glorified. That he has done all of this for those who believe. That it is just as certain that before time began, he predestined you as it is that in the future, you will be glorified. 
So certain that it's talked about in the past tense. His entire work from beginning to end is certain because, this is the next verse, he's for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? He is so for you, he's going to do you good. He's going to make you like Jesus. And who could be against you if God is that much for you, that committed to accomplishing his purpose in your life? Well, then we get to what God has done through the work of his son. Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's going to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, was raised and is at the right hand of God who is indeed interceding for us. So the first thing he says really about the work of Jesus is that God did not spare, excuse me, God did not spare Jesus. There are two senses in which God did not spare Jesus. And I think you need to understand both. The first is that God did not spare Jesus the suffering. That's the way this word is normally used is that God did not keep the suffering away from Jesus. He didn't spare him. As in, spare the rod, spoil the child kind of thing. God did not spare his own son the suffering that was due for you and for me and for all who believe. But the second sense in which God did not spare Jesus was this. That God delivered Jesus for you. He did not spare you His most precious gift. The implication being If God would not spare his own son, what would he withhold? If God could not, if if God has already given his most expensive thing, what tiny little thing that you're praying for this week would he withhold from you? Because God didn't spare his son. He gave you the most expensive thing. He he gave you the diamond ring. He's going to throw the box in for free. So because of Jesus... There's going to be nobody able to level a charge to condemn you. God's not going to condemn you. Christ who died and rose again is not going to condemn you. 
There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. In other words, you're going to start 2023 on solid ground because of Jesus. Then I want you to see what it says next. Is it who's going to accuse? It's Christ who died and was raised. There is the heart of the good news that Jesus died for sinners. And that God accepted his sacrifice and he rose again. That he died and was raised. So there will be no condemnation for you. And the heart of the gospel is the historic work of Jesus on the cross and the empty tomb. No doubt about that. But I don't think that's the point of what he has going on here. Because the past work of Jesus is not all that you benefit from. Because not only did God not spare him, not only did he die and rise again for you, but he is currently at the right hand of God pleading your case. He is interceding for you. Though his past work is unfathomable, His present work is life-giving. It is the current, ongoing, moment-by-moment work of Jesus right now that gives you hope for 2023. Not the fact you're going to do a little better this year. I mean, the magnitude of the difference between the work of Jesus at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and your attempt to do better this year, the difference between those is night and day. God is so committed. He is so committed to you that not only did he not spare his own son, how will he, with, how will he withhold anything from you? Especially when his son who died and rose again is at his right hand pleading your case right now. And so this text starts and ends with prayer. Beauty of it is, it starts and ends with prayer by the Holy Spirit and by Christ the Son. So that you and I might have audience with the creator of the universe. And why do we get that audience? Because of our weakness not because of our strength, because of our failure, not because of our success, because of our brokenness, not because of our wholeness. The Holy Spirit, not our self-effort, makes certain that we are heard by the Father. The intercession of Jesus makes God so pleased that he will not withhold any lesser thing from his children. And so what is this if it's not good news? 
The text explains the reason that it works this way. That Christ died and rose again. That those who believe might have life. And that having life in Christ might have an ongoing uh, relationship with God where there is no condemnation, where the Holy Spirit reminds us that we are children of God. So that the death and resurrection of Jesus count for us for all eternity, yes, but they count right now. And he is representing us before God. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, spoke about teaching children how to pray. And he said this, he said, you can tell them to whom they should pray and through whom they should pray. Tell them of God's promises and the grace he has formerly extended to sinners according to his word. Ah, he says, poor sweet babes. May the Lord open their eyes and make them holy Christians. The Spirit, here's, here's the sentence that you must get. The Spirit begets prayer when, in truth, they learn the gospel. The more you teach them this, the more their hearts will run out to God in prayer. I'm going to say that again. The Spirit begets prayer. When in truth they learn the gospel, the more you teach them this, the more their hearts will run out to God in prayer. My great concern for the church is that we don't pray because we don't really get the gospel. We don't really understand how good it is that God has given us his son. We don't really understand how good it is that God will accomplish his purpose in our lives. We don't really understand how good it is that the Holy Spirit comes alongside in our weakness. And that we don't pray because we don't get the gospel. And so it's my hope today, this week, that you will be certain of the good news of Jesus Christ, and that it will just draw you into prayer. And so the first takeaway is this. Please pray. Please sign up for the week of prayer. Go to the Sunday Hub. The first panel on the left is how you sign up. Please make sure that you join with the rest of the church in praying in this first week of the new year.